नमस्ते नमस्ते लेट्स बिगिन विद द वेरी क्वेश्चन व्हाई डू वी नीड टू अलाइन अवर सेल्फ्स एट ऑल आई रिमेंबर ड्यूरिंग वन ऑफ द टॉक्स लॉन्ग बैक इन ए प्रीमियर इंस्टीट्यूट इन चेन्नई वन स्टूडेंट आस्ट मी दैट सर यू आर स्पीकिंग अबाउट ऑल दिस इवोल्यूशन अबाउट योगा Why do we need to undertake it at all? So let's start with this very question. This question stems from a fundamental lack of understanding of we and the creation and the creator and the cosmos that we inhabit. When we start a life journey, we believe that we are alone, or we are separate and distinct from everything else. we are not really connected in the deepest sense we are superficially connected through circumstances of birth through life through various situations through work through interest etc etc through social duties and all these things have an impact upon our life and we keep connected with them depending upon either habit circumstances of birth or our vested interests or sometime because we have a certain kind of commonality of thought this is the basic alignment with which we are born in life and which we develop all of us develop but through all this process we remain separate and distinct even when we turn to god or a higher power it's only ultimately for our own distinct separate identity it's uh, its benefits what we can gain out of it we can get out gain out of life out of others and there is something inbuilt within us and we proceed with life along with that and we also are given certain kinds of basic hungers just like animals except that to these hungers we add few more of our own or rather nature adds few more of our own and we live life from birth to death going through all kinds of situations trying to navigate through all of them there are two attitudes which human beings take during the course of this journey this kind of a journey in ignorance one is they believe that life is meant to be like this fundamentally there is nothing much we can do to change the basic nature of life it will remain imperfect there will be suffering there will be death there will be disintegration there will be old age there will be problems there will be challenges and they learn to accept it this is a graceful way of doing it that well i accept myself um, these things in life and as and when they come i will take the challenge and to take the challenge they equip themselves in various ways in at various levels individually and they equip themselves socially so that you know everybody carries on his cell phone a number of um, the numbers of some important people in different fields those who will come to rescue those who will come when there is a time of need at the same time inwardly we equip ourselves we want to save money for a rainy day we want to you know reach a good job good position so that we can earn some kind of respect etc this is one approach that human beings take they accept that life will be imperfect fundamentally another approach that they take is that they struggle with life but they don't know how to go about it so they want to they try their hard to change things but they meet a blank wall and they become unhappy and they start complaining and they start grumbling grudging they become depressed in the first one the good uh, side of it is that one 
avoids things like depression and complaining one says that's how life is but there is no deeper purpose yet in the second one again there is no deeper purpose purpose is my own egoistic enjoyment but at the same time one struggles tries hard uh, and you will see a kind of anxiety in these people as they go through life say when they grow old they develop diseases they're very unhappy very uncomfortable when they are confronted with the loss of a loved one because somehow they believe that you know it should not be there going through life they have not learned to accept certain things so these are the two ordinary approaches that we as human beings take then there is a third approach and the third approach is that well life is a field of unhappiness it is a field of transience it's a field of sorrow it's a field of suffering but yet there is a way out and that way out is to go out of this zone completely this zone is a zone of suffering so even if you try your best and somehow try to save uh, you know uh, whatever you have tried and some fruits have come you want to save you want to navigate through it eventually it has no meaning because you will meet the same blank wall so why don't come out of this fence this fence of nature in which we are caught and we have all these escapist solutions given to us through through the centuries at least last uh, couple of millenniums from buddha and shankara and many others that this is a field of suffering come out of this so this is the third approach that human beings take and there is a fourth one but before we come to the fourth one i am reminded of uh, this human predicament uh, so beautifully described in savitri where shubindu says uh, man still a child in nature's mighty hands in the succession of the moment lives to a changing present is his narrow right his memory looks back at a phantom past the future flees before him as he walks he waits to weigh the certitude of his thoughts he waits to save his fruits of works from adverse chance yet he knows not he knows not whether at last he shall survive or perish from this earth as the mastodon and the sloth where he was king so this is our predicament we don't know future what future has in store for us but at the end he says something very beautiful yet a secret forcing knowledge can be ours now what is this forcing knowledge and why do we need it after all these three solutions we opt for one of them and we go through life well we can't really go through life this way the reason is that there is behind all these three behind all the different approaches that we have there is a secret divine impulsion there is a will that has gone into creation if there was no will that has gone into creation it was just happening somehow mysteriously magically a kind of illusion that someone has created out of fun then yes there is a meaning and merit in coming out of it or in trying to you know face it as well as we can but it's not a question of facing life it's a question of fulfilling something else which we can nowadays we use the word greater purpose a vaster plan or in the language of um, the gita and shurbindo fulfilling the divine will in us now this divine will is not only individual it is individual as well as it is collective it's something which has gone into the creation so the the whole problem starts or well to look at it very uh, we start from this end that we find ourselves in this world and we are we are taught to align to this we start by we are taught that we are we have to align ourselves with our parents so we are 
instilled certain thoughts, certain ideas, certain ways of life, attitudes, customs. Then as we grow up, we are taught by the parents that we have to align to a religion or no religion, even that, you know, there are parents who are atheists, so they want their children to be atheists. So atheism becomes a dogma. It becomes kind of a intellectual creed, sometimes worse than religions. Or as we grow up, then we are taught, align yourself to the society. Generally by societies meant the social milieu in which we live. We have to align ourselves to the school. We have to align ourselves to the goals that somebody else has set in for us. And those goals we know very well, no need of repeating them. But as we go through life, something happens which makes us feel that is this all? Either when we go through life, believing in all the things that have been given to us, Yet we find that there is some kind of an imperfection, an emptiness which dodges our life. Or else, if we don't accept all those things and go our own way, we really don't know which way to go. Now these things, society, religion, these ideas, they set a goal for us and we are taught to align ourselves to them. So if the goal is, let's say, studying and doing well in life, we have to align ourselves to that. So we have to sacrifice certain things in life to achieve that. This is how we proceed normally in life. Or if the goal is society, then we have to align to the social mores and customs. If we don't, we are an outcast. So this, is, this goes on. All this is an alignment in ignorance. But there is something deeper within us which is wanting to fulfill its own agenda. And what is that agenda? That agenda is not that we become doctor, engineers, build up a lot of money and all that. This is incidental. This is not that it is not important or important. It has its little place. It is incidental. But the real agenda for which creation started, as the Upanishad scriptically put it forth and as Sri reminds us, is to fulfill God in man is man's manhood. Or to put it back to the original uh, Upanishadic phrase, Eko ham bahishyami, vahishyami. So he bahushyami, Eko ham bahushyami, the divine wants that all of us become like him. So now we understand why, uh, um, why a teacher or why, why the parents want the child to become like them. It's in ignorance, it is the mistranslation of a profound truth. The divine also wants us to become like him. So all his... Uh, all that he works upon us or through us is so that each of us can eventually be tuned to fulfill that original plan. And what does it mean to become like the divine? It means to live in the state of infinity. It means to live with the conscious perception of eternity. No more intransience. It means to have the permanence and the security that comes from permanence. It means to have a mind which is free of all errors. It means to have a heart which is all the time filled with love and delight and sweetness and joy. It means to have a life which is inexhaustible with its inexhaustible fund of the purest energy that is possible. It means to have even a body which is free from all diseases, suffering and pain. So this is the original plan. And nature is given to fulfill this plan. Now you see, now with this something new begins to happen. On one side is God's original plan in us, if you may use the word God, which uh, uh, carries nowadays a very, you know, a very religious, traditional connotation. So the divine, he has a plan for us. Then on the other hand, there are plans which the society in ignorance has set up for us, which we knowingly, unknowingly get conditioned and we follow it. As long as our plan 
is by some freak chance aligned to that fulfillment of the divine plan in us it's all right but more often than not it is not aligned and therefore an internal struggle or tussle starts so this tussle or struggle starts and takes strange forms one of the forms that it has begun to take because now there is a tremendous pressure of the divine will to Uh, fulfill itself so what has happened nowadays people are beginning to especially children are beginning to break free from the mold they no more want to follow the pattern which their parents have set for them they no more want to follow the goals which society set for them they no more want to simply align themselves with the uh, you know um, the the goals that the teachers set for them so they revolt against it because they they are looking for something else but unfortunately before they discovered that something else there are so many players in the play which james was beautifully alluding to the cosmic forces they are waiting it's like you know when you step out of the house and uh, uh, you know i'll give an example so there are how these forces operate it's like when you go to a market and people have a they know that supposing you are going to buy something very let's say pure gold or or diamond now you are going to a market and if somebody gets a wind of it then you see jeweler street all shops and everybody will claim that mine is the best mine or even if they want to put it uh, mildly that no it may not be the purest but it's the most reasonable like that we are led from one market to another one shop to another so when we step out of this um, zone of our house our safety comfort as we step out into life then all these forces begins to impinge impact influence and pounce upon us because each of these forces is a world in its own right you know when you go to a city uh, as you step down i don't know how the situation is now but in olden days you came out of the bus stand or you you know came out of the railway station now there are people who will tell you do you want to go to this hotel do you want to go to that hotel and then you have to say no no my house is here or somebody else is here who will come and pick me up so depending upon our deepest inner needs we are programmed like that these this need to become divine we are programmed like that because the original plan of the divine but it looks like a very tall order and for a long time we mistranslate it into these um, you know uh, distorted um, achievements for or limited achievement for instance the divine is all delight now in our nature it gets mistranslated into enjoyment hedonism pleasure things which desires can fulfill and satisfy us similarly the divine is all force tremendous power so it mistranslates into our nature that if i have money i'll be powerful if i occupy this position i'll be powerful if i have the names of the famous politicians who's who and uh, etc i'll be very powerful if i move in high societies i'll be very powerful similarly the divine is all knowledge and there is in us this deepest need for knowledge so this gets mistranslated into if i read a lot of books if i have more more degrees then i will eventually arrive at knowledge similarly the divine is the most peace and um, that pure existence that which is which does not perish so it gets mistranslated into us that our bodies as it is as it is right now should be freed from all disease and disintegration and uh, any kind of old age now all these aspirations are fine but the route they take in ignorance is very different it's like we are moving from one illusion to another 
Now, why nature creates this? It's very fascinating to see how this plan unfolds. So, nature creates these little goals for us because we are being prepared for the final marathon. At some point of time, we have to pick up this pilgrim staff of faith and walk on the journey to the mountain summits because none of this is going to eventually satisfy us. But this cannot be done intellectually. So we are taken, okay, you are feeling ambitious. Okay, fine, go, find it. Then at the end of the day, we find that despite being in a position, high position, really it counts for nothing. I, I, I mean, as a psychiatrist, I have seen such cases where someone missed the highest rank, just one notch below and committed suicide. I have seen people rise to the top and yet very unhappy in life. Precisely because this unhappiness actually is a blessing in disguise. It's because it reminds us that, look, all that we have achieved counts for nothing. People who have got a lot of degrees and, you know, who are living in an illusion of knowledge and suddenly you start questioning them and they discover that, well, all my knowledge cannot explain to me or predict for me what is going to happen the next moment. This is a simple question one can ask after somebody has given a lot of knowledge about, you know, um, science, scientific knowledge and various kinds of knowledge systems. Ask whether, you know, one can predict the very next moment. Now, why this question is important? Because if we cannot predict with certainty what is going to happen the next moment, of course, we live with faith and everything. This certainty can only come if you are master of all the forces that regulate the flow of time. And if we cannot do it, that means our knowledge is imperfect. So we, we are constantly faced with the unexpected, with the uncertain, and we discover the failings of our knowledge. Similarly, somebody believes that, well, now life is very happy, all enjoyment, all pleasure, and suddenly it is snatched away in a moment. So we proceed like that. We want to save our body. We want it to look young, fresh, everything good, good. We go to gym, six packs, eight packs or whatever else it means, an equivalent for uh, our, you know, uh, sisters. But at the same time, we realize that, well, it's going slowly. It is going through the process of disintegration and degeneration. We are very unhappy because we still want to. That aspiration is there. Now, all this happens because eventually nature is preparing us for that ultimate leap. If it doesn't keep these short-term goals, then probably we'll just be a non-starter. Tell a boy who is, you know, uh, 15 that, you know, your goal is to have God. So he'll be totally confused unless he's ready through all this process in life. So, in fact, the idea of rebirth is precisely this kind of a progressive alignment. Nature is leading us towards it. How it is leading us towards it? Its ways are very different. It lives on a very large scale. Nature school is not like by 11th year of 18 year you have to get a degree. Nature says you want to stay in first standard for 10 lives is perfectly fine. What it has to do? It has to break and remold. Break the form and consciousness will advance just one little inch further. That means so many lives of suffering, so many lives of error so many lives spent see this is what happens with many people that in a lifetime they learn a little lesson sometimes not even that i have seen people toward the end you know very miserable and uh, this one thing which i say that how you gracefully face your uh, you know time of departure not only the immediate time but you know as you are nearing shows how you have lived your life now there are people who even during that time i have seen people who was who was a man who was so miserable, very unhappy. So I asked him, 
see this is the time is seemingly a um, god fearing man as it is called a religious man and i said you think about god why are you so looking so unhappy no 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 you know what happens and then he gave me a big lecture what children are and he has put his uh, you know he has made a will but he knows for sure that my children will fight uh, he had two sons and they are going to fight and he was very miserable because of that now look at a man's life that all his life he must have brought up these children with all the love and care that anybody takes earned all this wealth to pass it on to them but even during the last days he is not happy with everything neither with the children nor with the wealth and this not one person's predicament there are many many houses like that which we have seen now of course we maintain a facade of decency so nature normally one lifetime one small little lesson then it says okay fine come again so next life next to next life and it goes on like that over millions of years but there is another choice for us there is a way and that way is that we align our lives to the original divine will in us the sooner we do it the more we will be on the grand trunk road that life itself has carved for us by grand trunk road i don't mean difficulties and challenges but it is the road meant for us you know there was a very nice book the road less traveled so if i have to put it in the indian context i would say the road meant for us you know that famous uh, poem of uh, frost where he speaks of you know he stands at a, a doraha at at a cross road where he sees two roads and he go takes one there is no way you can know which one is meant for you and at the end of it he finds what he finds and he says i don't know what what was lying at the end of the other road so basically ultimately there is something original plan meant for us a road path meant for us and if we take that and there is a goal meant for us if we follow that what is called as following a true calling then we begin to align ourselves but instead if we allow our choices to be driven by society parents teachers and everybody else all done in good will not that it's done out of bad will parents will always say that you know study well earn well if you don't do it if you tell them tell the parent that i want to realize god they will say you know see a psychiatrist maybe first go to us bill get lot of money and then you know talk about let let god be a post retirement plan and things like that it's not done out of bad will but it's done out of an ignorant good will which does more harm than a bad will on top of it there will be many things you know your birth is uh, to fulfill your duty towards your parents towards your family and this is what they have understood as the meaning of life now this is a meaning within ignorance and it is all right as long as we subscribe to it but a time comes and is fast approaching because there is a pressure of the divine will upon earth and in man that more and more children are beginning to revolt because they are beginning to search for no this can't be my goal the goal has to be something else they don't know really and they need to be helped in discovering it now this discovery of this goal to which we have to be aligned is the first fundamental aspect of everything else if we don't have a goal there is no question of alignment we are not i mean everything will start from there it's not like we are supposed to be aligned to this and that and how many uh, separate ways uh, you know i have to be aligned to my parents in one way when i go to work i have to be aligned in different way when i do something else i have to be aligned in different uh, third way no it is not that it is about what is my goal of life and i have to be aligned to that and here we have some very beautiful examples in nature itself 
So what is the goal of the sun to shine? Shine. It shines. That's it. So if you tell the sun, oh, you're too hot. It's troubling me. The sun doesn't think about it because the sun goal is to shine. Or if you tell the sun that, you know, I want a little more of you. The sun will not change because of that. The goal of the river is to flow toward the sea. Put obstacle in its way. It will either try to carry that obstacle along its path or it will pierce through the heart of the rock or it will circle around and reach or it will change its course and reach. Because it knows my goal is to flow towards the ocean. Somebody has very beautifully said, there are three things we must always know. Where do I come from? Where am I going? And who am I? These are the three basic things. In fact, who am I derives from, where do I come from? So depending upon our answers, our life starts its journey. So when we understand that there is a goal like that, it could be any, any goal. Alignment has to be in terms of goal. Now, we, there are two ways we can look at the goal. One is that somebody else you know, gives us a goal. The other and the more correct way is that we look within and see what is the goal. So where is the goal to be found? How are we to know the goal? Over the ages, human beings have been given various methods, ways. The Gita uses the word Sodharma and Sobhava. But a very simple way is just quieten the mind. Don't, you know, because mind is a repository of all kinds of things, all kinds of ideas, all kinds of forces. And look into the heart and see what is the goal. Here is the original blueprint given to us. But when we cover it up, and with our mind's thoughts, we step out into this world, especially when, you know, youngsters enter into this world. What happens? As I was saying, there is a market of forces and they just catch us. They will tell us here, you are looking for joy. I'll give you joy. Come. You are looking for success. I'll give you success. Like all those advertisements of, you know, tutorials and uh, plenty of things and, you know, <laughs> this school, that college. So they are all the time there. These, this is the lower net of forces that James was referring to. That there is a network of forces which won't let us even discover the goal. And they will keep us taking away from the straight road which is meant for us. And the worst is we are taught through the education system, unfortunately, not to listen to the heart. We have to listen to the mind. We have to, who are the people who have to listen to? Parents. So sometimes I even uh, put it across a bit paradoxical and incidentally I am myself a parent so I think I can say this without offending anyone, without meaning any offence that very often one of the first things that parents start teaching children is that you have to listen to us. Now listen to us is fine but why? And as children they have to listen to us only so that one day they can think freely for themselves. This listen to us can be a temporary thing to, to safeguard a child from gross errors. But this listening should end up with that, look, you are a free being who can choose freely and choose rightly. So the result of all this kind of a somebody else making for choices for us is that we never know how to think for ourselves. We don't know how to even when, you know, there are people with whom uh, when I say, what's your goal? People are nonplussed. They have never thought about it. For example, I'll give you one example. Yesterday itself, this was happening. So there is a person who consulted me. He said, what to do when you know, you're know you faced with uh, people 
who have a different way of thinking and you have a different way of thinking and uh, there is ego clashes and all that so after everything he had finished uh, 15 20 minutes of his own story so i asked him one question i said what is your goal so he said uh, i mean he was totally nonplussed because he is working in an organization and he never knew that there is something like a goal his he well when you look back he says well i have certain ideas and i want to live life according to that i said yes that's all right but have you even seen that whether your ideas opinions your feelings your impulses are aligned with your goal what is your goal ideas are not goals ideas are vehicles ideas are meant to carry you to the goal so our ideas itself should be aligned to the goal and if we find that our ideas are not aligned to the goal we have to discard them very often it happens that when we have a goal we see all kinds of ideas it's like the market they will enter us there are all kinds of people so people even with regard to spiritual life people often ask you know this guruji that guruji and they go to 100 people so they ask when they ask me i ask them that what is your goal do you want mukti go to this guru there are plenty of them do you want life to be perfect well there is as of now there is only one master who teaches us that life can become perfect and beautiful and from the highest standpoint and that is sri arbindo so what is the goal it's not about oh this spiritual discourse is nice that one is very nice and people go everywhere they go to all the temples they go to all the uh, possible you know gurudwaras and this and that but at the end of it what is the point in all this why are we doing all this it's not to conform or subscribe to a way of life or to a religion or to an ideology it's about what is my goal now when we start looking at life from that way then things change supposing my goal is the divine i'm using the word supposing because this has to come from the heart it, it's not something to be imposed all evangelism conversion is not a good thing so it must come from somebody's heart the calling supposing my goal is the divine then i have to see all kinds of ideas will come into my head political idea commercial ideas ideas related to work ideas related to home and based on that certain will feelings impulses will arise within me now i have to see whether this is if i accept this idea is it taking me closer to the goal even a good idea seemingly very high idea i remember one of the uh, very beautiful stories um, i think i have told this earlier when uh, anil baran had come here one of the really great stalwarts uh, in yoga um wonderful you know even intellectually he could receive and understand shurbindu so well but shurbindu told him only one thing don't let the asan you know the the asan not just the physical asan but you have taken to yoga stick to it this is your goal this is your life and he understood it but a time came when he was very much tormented by the separation of india and pakistan and he suddenly forgot that wonderful advice should be that given very far seeing advice meant specifically for him and of course for all of us and he eventually couldn't help but go away from here i think it was 60s and he wanted to form a spiritual party and to you know somehow bring india and pakistan together and it's it was a crash landing because it can't be done like that for him his calling was to realize the divine to fulfill him in life and not be distracted into these lanes and by lanes for somebody else it would be a wonderful thing somebody who is very selfish person so it it's not something which can be universalized 
So goal is something, even the path that we'll take toward the eventual goal will be different. At different stages of evolution, there are different callings. So there are people who may well say that, you know, um, I, you know, instead of leading a selfish life, I'm a patriot and I want to live life for the... So we are uh, back to the story and you know when the computer went off because the link was broken I was wondering whether it's not computer's way of saying that look you have spoken too much let's have question answers but nevertheless just to you know quickly wind up and then we can have question answers is that we must have in life a goal if we really want to align ourselves. See, the deeper divine will will manifest itself in our life as a calling. Very often people ask that how to know the divine will within us. It's okay that there is a grand plan and greater plan, but how are we to align? For each one, it will be different, you know. And at different stages of evolution, it's different. Because our in our journey, our levels of consciousness is different. There's a very interesting story about Swami Vivekananda when... A young person wanted to renounce life and he came to him saying that, Swamiji, I want to renounce everything. Then he asked him that, what do you have which you want to renounce? Reminding him that you have you don't have anything. Is it a way that you know you want to just lead a comfortable life? So the, the thing that we have to remember is, so he in fact told him, you first earn one lakh rupees and then come and renounce. So this is a way of reminding us that this goal is not something which is to be found in some activities and not in others. If we remember the goal, we'll find it anywhere and everywhere because the divine is everywhere. So it's not that we have to take up certain activities, discard some other. In fact, the one of the exercises that the mother teaches us, you know, when we have to go towards this great discovery, she says, do not do anything for the sake of pleasure, but take pleasure in whatever we do. So, to start with, we must be very clear about our calling. This calling is within, which is within the heart. There is no technique or method of it. There are, I mean, people will give techniques that, you know, stay quiet and see. But we'll see this calling as a kind of a connecting thread, running as an undercurrent stream through our life. You know, just like they say in the uh, palm, you have a main lifeline and you have a supporting lifeline. So if the supporting lifeline is strong, it supports the main lifeline. So I look at it like that, that there is a supporting lifeline and this supporting lifeline is the original path meant for us. It's the stream running behind our life. And if we listen to this stream, which this stream is connecting our past to the future, we, we have forgotten about it. This is uh, the stream which connects uh, the lives and this stream is running right close to our souls. And there is a surface life which is uh, another life which we are leading. And if the two are closely aligned, then this inner one supports the outer. Very interesting. The outer doesn't support the inner. It's a folly. Human beings sometimes feel that if I have this, if I have that, I can pursue my goal much better. It's not true. Everything in creation is given to us to align ourselves and help us move towards the goal. Everything, every circumstance, every challenge, every success, every failure is actually programmed, is so beautifully designed to help us align to the goal and move faster. But when we do not know this goal, then we have all this, you know, grudge, complaint, trying to force ourselves, etc., etc. 
Now, one thing we must remember, however, that this working of the divine will cannot be deduced by outer circumstances. So some people believe that, well, maybe I am meeting with failure, that means the divine will is not for this. No, this world is not a perfect expression of the divine. So we may be fully aligned to our goal and yet the outer circumstances may be very challenging. For example, somebody wants to, uh, you know, realize the divine, but may find in outer life everything that is preventing him from even finding a little time. But if he really is sincere and keen, he will be able to do it through this whole process. There is a very nice little story of Mirabai that she was, you know, uh, looking for a, I mean, she was, she was grown up, she was not looking, but parents were looking for a um, bridegroom to get married. And uh, she asked one of her aunts that, tell me, is something good or bad? You know, why should one get married? Very interesting question, original question, asked hundreds of years back. But nowadays we don't even ask this question. Oh, you grow up, marriage, job, all this. But Mirabai is a highly developed, she is a vibhuti. Um, a partial incarnation of the Divine Mother. She says, why should I get married? What is there in getting married? So anyways, she is explained, usual notions, she says, okay, okay. But in her heart, she is already married to Krishna. So she asks one of the aunts that you are married, what do you have to say about marriage? She says, you know, because she asked two aunts, both of them are uh, devoted uh, to Lord Krishna and on the path. So she says, they will be able to tell me correctly. So one of them says that, you know, I've got married and my husband is a wonderful husband and he looks after me from morning, bed tea till night, he takes care of me, I'm very fortunate. And because of this, I can really remember God and give all my time to the divine. So it's so wonderful to get married. You may find one such husband, though such a model never existed, but still. Then she goes to another lady who has a very miserable life and she says, tell me your experience about marriage. She says, oh, it's wonderful. You know, my husband doesn't care for me, doesn't love me, everything I have to do by myself. But you know what has happened? Because of this, all my attachments from the world are gone and I can concentrate and devote myself fully to the Lord. So it's about attitudes rather than activities. Some people have this idea that certain activities will help me reach the goal. But the mother reminds us that it's not activities, it's the attitude. So if that attitude is there, that state of aspiration is there, that that's where I have to go. Then when one is eating, one is moving towards the goal. Because one is no more eating only for pleasure, but so that, you know, the body is um, strengthened so that I can, um, you know, it is a state of fitness and health. One is doing exercise with this idea, not that I look good and I look, uh, you know, people will be impressed by my looks. I look younger than my age. No, one is doing it so that the body is better prepared and better equipped for the uh, purposes of uh, yoga. One is um, reading a book, not only just that, you know, it's a pastime, let me just spend some time gathering information or even nowadays, you know, books, uh, new version is WhatsApp and this and that, hundred things which go on. But one is reading so that one can develop the mind, see it, you know, allow it to think in different dimensions so that this mind itself can become a beautiful vehicle of the divine. And even when one is reading, the eye is on picking up those elements which are um, aligned to the goal. 
Similarly, and you see nature works like that. Very often people say that, you know, the day I thought about building a house from everywhere I started, you know, uh, whether I was opening a book casually, randomly, or I was traveling, I was meeting this person, that person. So you have to tell them that it's not that these things were coming in your life because this is your goal. It was happening because now our mind was focused on that. So these things and all kinds of things are there in nature, but the mind tends to pick up. You'll pick up just that advertisement which is, you know, your is uppermost in your mind as mother spoke about the shooting star. That you pick up, you have a star shooting and during that time, what do you want? That is your core aspiration and that gets realized. So people, you know, um, uh, give credit to the star, but the star is inside us. So when we, something similar happens that when we are in a certain state of aspiration that this is what I want. Now, this aspiration has to be each one's own. Even when we talk about the divine, each one's journey is unique. Now, when we are in a certain state of aspiration, then we are we may be eating, we may be taking a walk, we may be meeting friends, or we may be alone in the house, we may be on the phone, or we may be reading a book, we may be, you know, during sleep, during meditation, during everything, all our interactions, our eyes are on the goal. And that's what is important. Then life begins to get aligned. So just to close with a very interesting example, which I know, very beautiful example that, you know, once Nalnida um, was, you know, walking and uh, one lady suddenly, you know, stopped him, very rough tempered and started hurling all kinds of insults and everything on him. And uh, Nalnida kept listening for a good 10-15 minutes and then he said, is it over? Can I go now? Now, this is where you are conscious of the goal. Otherwise, we get caught. And then not only caught at the moment, we have a five minutes of interaction. Then, whole day, so-and-so told me this, so-and-so told me that. Now, when we look at the whole thing from the perspective of the goal, it collapses. How does it matter? That person, in fact, was a help. Because the person came to actually help us practice equanimity. So, always, you know, in, in practice of yoga, at least, we have these... Uh, uh, two kinds of people who meet us, those who uh, are doing yoga and therefore they strengthen our aspiration, help us grow sincere and those who come to help us do the yoga. So they will uh, do all kinds of things so that, you know, to, they are like people who will test your aspiration. Whether they do it consciously or not, that's not the point. But they come to awaken in us with a greater um, sincerity uh, of purpose and will with a deeper faith this journey towards the goal. So I think aligning oneself, the first thing is the goal. Goal is not something artificial. Nobody can say this. Yes, if you ask me, I would say that the goal is eventually the fulfillment of the original divine plan. It stands to logic. Because if there is a divine impulsion in creation, then that divine impulsion doesn't care whether my parents are aligned to this or not, whether teachers say this or not. It is far more powerful. All these ideas that I must listen to that and listen to that and our life is caught in as if in a web where we are pulled in 100 directions. If there is a divine impulsion in its creation, then it overrides everything else. Simply because it's the original impulsion. If my parents were not attuned to it, so sorry, it's too sad. Sad for them. If the teachers don't understand it, just too bad. Because nobody taught them or they didn't try to find out. If my friends are not aware of it, if my peers don't understand it, you can at the most feel that, you know, one can pray and wish that they should also awaken to this need of knowing something greater and deeper. But within me, I must follow my calling. And this calling can only be discovered in the heart. 
and the sooner the better i have seen many a children that around 8 9 10 11 had this calling even up to 12 this calling was there then something happens and that i often uh, use the term as civilizational failure civilizational loss so what is civilizational failure uh, it's that civilization is built so called civilization around a ideal which is not aligned to the original will what i mean by that is let's say there is a whole hedonistic culture in life now man is not meant for that there is a life built around egoistic satisfaction now this not our goal this not the original impulsion so when we live by that human beings young children older people they are all caught up and hence their life becomes nothing but a whole wasteland a whole life lived at the end of it what some people follow so called bourgeois ideal so called comfort it's not comfort it's frightening when seen from one point of view that a whole life was spent without knowing what is my purpose so this is civilizational failure because civilization doesn't encourage as as of now any city any country what is the goal nation should have a goal country should have a goal civilization should have a goal but we find it missing and that's where i find something so beautiful about the ancient indian civilization it placed as its goal the very highest arhat the path arya be the noble be the highest the shrest and they gave us plenty of templates it was not like a narrow rigid dogmatic path that all must follow a set of code of conduct but for each one there were multiple templates examples sacrifice of shivi truthfulness of king harishchandra valor of uh, bhishma and arjuna all kinds of things or the steadfastness of rama sita steadfast in truth anusuya steadfast in love so for every kind of ideal they had a template which we could easily get into and follow that we have lost now and it's very unfortunate that we have to struggle to just to discover what we are meant for so till 9 10 11 i have seen lot of children have it uncorrupted uh, except in schools where right from beginning or from kindergarten onwards parents start putting pressure to conform but even these children it's a very sad story that as they come in contact with friends and with life around they lose that and it takes a long long time to recover so let's close with these words of the mother a nameless life is a miserable life and this aim in us is individually aligned should be aligned to the great divine purpose this divine purpose within us divine will within us individual as well as with collectivity so she says a nameless life is always a miserable life let your aim be high and wide pure and disinterested so depending upon our aim our life's value will be there but at the same time she reminds us but remember that the you cannot discover the perfection outside till you have discovered the perfection within so first thing is to find what is my goal then to start aligning everything around it our thoughts our feelings our will impulsions that means conscious choices not being driven to choose what people call as choices are not their choices at all 
they are choices of relatives friends all kinds of people who give suggestions or even without that and we are driven by that conscious choices so through these conscious choices we move through the journey of life conscious choices are the path path is not bhakti yoga karma yoga gyan yoga raj yoga because you may take that but even there egoistically one may do bhakti one may pursue the path of gyana very egoistically it is conscious choices made through life that are the path and these conscious choices should be aligned to the calling within us and this calling itself within us we should be careful that it is aligned to the larger plan of the manifestation of the divine within us all creation creation is not an accident it's not an illusion it is a progressive divine manifestation and as we advance we'll see that the path opens little by little more and more and as we become more and more sincere slowly we'll see that everything within our nature begins to get slowly aligned to our goal and if we can discover the true center within us then that would be the most wonderful thing to do of that we'll speak tomorrow the true center as james had indicated is the psychic center within us so that's where from where the calling comes and we have to discover it and then align our life to that and then we have to align everything outside to that so of that we'll speak tomorrow meanwhile if there are any questions most welcome namaste yes doctor doctor there is one actually um on the chat is this doctor lock how do i or how do we constantly feel and act out of our goal within us when we feel that we are bombarded by distracting forces that surround us every second yes i feel that this is so hard to do this outside of an ashram and living amongst ordinary life yes so very beautifully uh, james that in life we are distracted by and bombarded by lots of forces so how do we really effectively get aligned to this goal or even discover it for that matter and that's why initially and for a long time it is good to set aside a time apart when we just plunge within and speak to ourselves this is something which is missing again one of the civilizational diseases being in a hurry being busy and the busier we are some people are busy in work day and night some with their work and family or if they have a little time they like to you know spend time with friends gossip partying so we have to take out time and plenty of time is given to us even otherwise during life as a doctor i can say that between one patient and another i have a little time at least i can take out a little time and every little time given to us is a gift and a reward of life and during that moment instead of just you know taking out the phone and beginning to you know start looking at it or gossiping with the people or simply just getting up and you know thinking of a tea break let's have a this break which we instead of a tea break let's have a d break so d by d break i mean whenever there is a little moment we just stay quiet and we rekindle the aspiration the aspiration could be i want to find my goal it's not necessary that everybody immediately has the goal so we can aspire that i want to know my goal of course this aspiration implies faith in a divine wisdom 
which will give us the goal if we ask for it. So ask for the goal or look within and raise this question, what am I really meant for? All this running about, this hustle and bustle, this crowd, these meetings, this chai samosa parties and everything else, accumulation of wealth beyond measure, what am I really striving for? What is the purpose of my life? And it's good to remind, remember and think about it, contemplate about it, reflect about it. It's ideal if we can set aside a time and get into that mood. So there are various practices one can, you know, when one sets aside a time, stay in a room or a space which is relatively quieter, read something which can, you know, quieten us. One of the ways, uh, Savitri, prayers and meditation, the Bhagavad Gita, books which are charged with a spiritual consciousness. And then we plunge into our own depths. Let it be initially 5 minutes, 10 minutes. It will be difficult. Sometimes it helps if we just write it. See, this objectivization of what we experience within is a very helpful process. People don't realize its value. Because otherwise, when we just uh, say pray, and we pray, we don't note anything. So what happens is this prayer is beautiful at that moment that it tends to go into this universe amidst the thousand forces that deny. But when we write it down, it becomes concrete. And we'll see that when we write it down, there is a conscious link and there is a journey. So this is how we should do it. Set aside a time. Find time even during the busy schedule, there'll be plenty. Then set aside a time specifically for this and we sit and speak as Shurabindu puts it in Savitri, there are moments when the inner in moments when the inner lamps are lit and life cherished guests are left outside. Our spirit sits alone and speaks to its skulls. So we must set aside a time, life cherished guests. Put your phone on silent or whatever. Leave people outside. Tell them that this is your time with yourself. See, it's very unfortunate. Now, we are very fortunate, at least in the ashram setting and all this, we get time. But outside, life is so packed up and of our own doing that there is no time left to sit with ourselves and discover ourselves. And because of the nature of life outside, it is built around desires. So, even if you do nothing, you are filled with restlessness. You pass through a market space and you are filled with restlessness, even if you don't desire something. Because the zones are like that. And now what to do in that situation? That is why there are places like ashram, there, are, there were monasteries in ancient times, so that we take out some time. And we come and we live in this atmosphere for a few days. That's why there are camps. So that there are days when we are far from the madding crowd. And we sit and rekindle this aspiration. Then slowly, slowly we retune ourselves when we go back to life. We lose it, we come back go back, come back, go back, till ultimately a day comes when this goal is all the time with us like a burning, quietly burning flame within our hearts. So this is a way to do it. One has to make it like, one has to be sincere enough at least to know that this is something worth doing. At least that has to be there. And then one finds the time. People who say that, you know, we don't have time, we are too busy. My answer is no, this is not true. Where there is a will, there is a way. If I say that I don't have time, that means I don't value this enough. And if you really look at the day, what is our time? Time with friends, with family, with 
work one can understand it's because we don't really value it see this is the unfortunate part and why don't we value it we go back to the problem the society it has organized life like that we are taught like that we are given the values upside down in life separate individual distinct from the universe and cut off from everything else whereas the distinctness of the individual has to be it derives its value from the divine there is a distinctive individual within us but not this ego self with its surname and everything else so this is unfortunately a whole web as you have rightly put it the society is you know catches us religions catches belief systems catches ideologies catches homes catches like a dark web huge spider web which has captured human lives is very frightening to see that but then there are individuals here and there and most importantly but there is grace so i personally feel it's only grace you know shobindu at the end of uh, a, a long passage in savitri where he says all the world's possibilities in man await as awaits in a seed the tree and then he describes all that can happen all the possible catastrophes disasters play of forces but at the end of it he says but there is a guardian power there are hands that save calm eyes divine regard the human scene so we have to ultimately open to the grace and you know put our hopes in the grace so let's open the platform to questions um from participants um you, you can uh, if you have think of a question just unmute yourself put your video on and ask doctor of straight away uh see i am prakash nair anything yes uh, doctor i had one question like i was reading this book uh, uh, by mr mp pandit on arbindo so mm -hmm. he says the way of love he says you should have the divine as the beloved hmm you know so i mean Uh, I don't understand because uh, as a beloved means, I mean, uh, you know, something like Mirabai Krishna relation. Or what, what, what does it mean? I mean, I'm a male, so what do you mean by beloved? I look at the. Okay, uh, yes, Prakash, it's a wonderful question, and I'm glad you asked it. So, of all the relations that one can have with the divine, the most intense, the most ecstatic, the most profound relation is the divine as the beloved. that means who is the beloved the beloved is somebody who is the closest deepest most intimate to oneself someone whom you cannot sacrifice you can sacrifice all other relations but not that who is your beloved he is the core if you see normally in relationships we have relationships in a concentric circle if you note it so there is in our core someone or somebody who is the ultimate for us whom not only we are most intimate with inwardly but we just cannot leave even if the whole world we were to leave we would still be with that person could be anybody in i am talking of life in general then there are those who are can be called as our inner circle then there are outer circle then outermost circle then there are friends long back so like that so beloved is he or she who is at the core of our being whom we just cannot imagine living without so when it is said that the divine is beloved it doesn't mean that you know i won't marry i won't have a friend i won't have no it doesn't mean that it means that everybody and everything else is with us but the divine is the one 
whom we cannot sacrifice for anyone and anything else. You know, Shobinda says very beautifully to of his aphorism, to commit adultery with God, this world was perfectly created. And then he says very beautifully that, you know, life is created in such a way that we are bound to the world by duties, by customs, by various relations, affection, etc., but secretly our soul is always in love with the divine paramour. Now why this divine aspect? Because what, what do we seek in a relationship? Let's say love. What do we seek in love? We seek two things. Intensity and eternity. Now intensity you can create momentarily. Human love. But you can't create eternity. You see what happens to human love. After a time the vessel is very narrow. This love tends to... Uh, you know, and because the vital is full of desires and ego, so people start very, very well, good beginning on the right footing, but very soon it goes on to the wrong footing. Why? Because this relation, the ego comes in, desires come in, they begin to rub, they begin to, you know, uh, brush against each other, and eventually it, it becomes uh, something very ugly, very opposite of, you know, love turns into hate, for example. Now, why does this happen? Because we are not able to hold this force of love in its intensity beyond a certain point. Most people don't even experience intensity. And if we want to keep it eternally, then we sacrifice intensity. There are people with whom you continue to live all your life. But that intensity has passed away. So love seeks intensity, eternity, and it seeks a third thing. It seeks union. But it seeks the union in its completeness. Now here comes a little twist of the divine as a beloved. Intensity, eternity and infinity of love you can find in the divine. But unless your very body is transformed, you cannot find the perfection of love and the completeness of love. And that is why there is this aspect where while you have the divine as the beloved, you can put it in another way. Of course, Nalnida has written a lot about it to love man. I am saying this because, you know, otherwise people tend to, you know, look at it in different ways. That treat your beloved or the one whom you love as none else but the divine who has come to you wearing this mask. So when you do that, now you have the possibility at even certain other levels with the divine. This is the problem. When you have the divine as the beloved, your body cannot participate. It can participate in acts of ritual worship. Or in service and especially, you know, if the divine is physically not present. How do you um, allow your body to participate in the movement of love? Love is love. It is not uh, just service. And how do you allow your vital to participate, especially certain aspects of the vital? How do you allow that romantic aspect of your own life of love to participate? Of course, one can have romance with the divine. It's possible very much. Now, what is the romance and the joy? You know, people who are romantic. Romance is something you don't, um, you know, you don't, everybody doesn't know. It's something very secret and sacred to you. So, it can be with the divine that way. But there are many aspects of togetherness or intimacy of love, which one wants with the beloved, which are difficult to have with the divine. So, this is the long-term project. When the very body is transformed, when everything in us is transformed, then we'll experience that same intensity. At the same time, we must understand that creation has a purpose. If we look at it this way, that the divine is the beloved and you know everything is the divine, then we sometimes create an extraterrestrial divine. 
So the problem of that is that becomes traditional bhakti yoga that you know I love only the divine and therefore I abandon everything else and therefore at the end of the whole journey I merge in the divine. So then what happens about creation? Now Shobindu and the mother both remind us that well creation has a purpose. In creation also there are masculine and feminine aspects and there are beings with whom we can connect at the deepest level at the inmost level and these people which in the course of our evolutionary journey you can't find it some people ask that you know how do i find my soulmate well you can't find it you have to find your soul if soulmate is meant he or she will come or come in come out all these things are possible there is no foolproof way of finding finding should be only of the divine but then sometimes in the course of our evolutionary journey either when we are ready or because we have to become ready the divine will bring certain people in our life which we will think or feel that they are our beloved fair enough but if you are really following the path of yoga they should be treated as divine wearing a mask you know that uh, mask of this person or that person is there in savitri she says that for me the eternal has come wearing the mask of satyavan and the same thing we find in many of when you know mother was asked that what what do you do when human love comes to us because we are supposed to abandon all other loves for the sake of divine so she says well go through it it is the best preparation so what it means is that we can love humans humanly and we can love a human being divinely but the first step is to come in contact with the divine and that's therefore we can say that there are three steps of in this process one is we love unconsciously instinctively and that is hardy love that is animal kind of love then we love humanly where we have human beings as our beloved we have you know um as our close friend etc uh, parents and uh, teachers and divine is some someone afar then the third step when we start finding in him all the relation of father mother sister brother friend lover beloved paramour teacher master all the relations but then when we have done that then there comes a final penalty met stage and we come back and in this world in all our manifold relation we start reproducing that original replica because we are in contact with the divine our love becomes of a very different quality it's no more a human egoistic love but a divine love so to love people divinely and there will be manifold relation because the psychic over a period of time forms different relations there will be a universal love and there will be individual loves so loving the divine within as the beloved means that he is the most intimate that should always remain even when with anybody else in our life no way that can be sacrificed for a yogin for somebody who is following the path of yoga what do we do with a human being with whom we feel intimate well what we do is treat that person as the divine would love if the divine has someone as a beloved how the divine would love he will not bring in ego he is the original template look at the divine mother her love unconditionally she pours and pours she expects nothing in return so for our all our needs we have that connection the inner beloved and for expressing this love we may have people human beings people who are our wife husband lover beloved paramour okay all kinds of things father brother sister <laughs> so this is how the process works but divine inside is non negotiable so whatever be the person whoever whatever how much ever the closeness is 
The divine beloved means he is the first and foremost in our life. He is the he is the constant companion of our life, and he is the goal of our life. Yes, Prakash, does it uh, answer the question? Yes, very well, very well. Thank you. Thank you. Does uh, anyone else have a question? We still have a little bit of time left, so. I have one Prakash again. Yes. Sorry to interrupt you. I have another no, no, question. It's a little off topic. Yeah. In the sense, like, I would like to know whether Auroville is open now or uh, <laughs> is there any activities in Auroville? If you can please tell me. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> nothing is off topic. Uh, the only thing is that I really um, won't know, but to whatever extent I know, it is not yet open to public. This is yesterday. Uh, information it's not open to public i suppose uh, by public i mean people can go see the matri mandir from outside uh, but like you can't take a pass to enter matri mandir so i don't know about departments i think they are open in that way so one can go into auroville uh, through whatever uh, roads are there and you can sneak in there are plenty of sneak in roads and then you just move around but uh, matri mandir is certainly not open to public that i know for sure some yeah. Of the guest, uh, some of the guest houses are open. So. Oh, guest houses are open. Okay. And the I think uh, Auroville Jeevan is doing some programs. I wouldn't know actually. Auroville, uh, I'm sure they are doing programs, but uh, I. Okay. Uh, I I wouldn't know. I'm not on that. You know, I am on a list of Auroville uh, group, but not this one. They have a website, I think. If you go to the website, you will find all the details. Yes. Yeah. I have a question, Dr. Pandey. Yes, please. Um, when you say disinterested, uh, which also I've read in some uh, in, in, in books, what do you mean by, what does, what does the mother mean by disinterested? Yes. Thank you for... Uh, this most wonderful question, this, uh, I remember that, uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. There was a time, uh, 91 or something, when um, I was uh, through a set of, you know, it was grace actually, to look after the Bangalore Center as a secretary. So just, I concentrated and opened one of the pages in prayers and meditation, where the mother says, even when you are doing a divine work, you should be disinterested. Now, I started looking at the meaning of this word exactly that, you know, what does it mean? Now, what this word means, as I discovered it over a period of time, not just the conventional meaning of the word, but it is not lack of interest for sure. It is to take interest, but no more for the sake of anything personal. Meaning thereby, if we are doing this work today, we do it with all the fullness with all the interest, with, you know, the yoga of the Gita actually. But if tomorrow we have to move out of this, we move without any, uh, uh, without as much as batting an eyelid. Oh, I have done so much and I have to move out from there. So without any preference, without any personal, uh, you know, ego involved, without any uh, craving for result, but doing it as a completest possible, most beautiful offering, with all our faculties, with all that we can you know, given to the work, but 
not with an eye on what fruits i am going to bring you know again it has to be done it should be successful work but it's not done with the idea of success it's done with the eye on perfection so all this is part of disinterested but the most important element is that if tomorrow or the next moment we are asked to leave it then we are ready to leave it this is where the disinterested word comes in there is a very beautiful um, essay of shirvindo on the delight of works and there he describes the sword as a joy in being kept in the hilt it is a joy in the hiss of the battle it is a joy when it is broken and thrown aside that equal joy discover and there is a little story which i remember from the ashram context which explains it very beautifully so mani ben who has recently passed away uh, in 90s so she was narrating that she came as a young girl and she was given to work in uh, golkund so golkund was looked after by gauridi's mother monadi and she was a perfectionist you know uh, you can imagine immaculately the way golkund is ca- was kept at that point of time so one day uh, mani ben was telling me the story herself that you know young girl she had to go for group so she she well it was 5 o'clock and she wanted to go and then monadi asked her that um, have you finished your work she said yes uh, monadi little something is there with tomorrow i'll be doing it she said what if the mother comes in half an hour time then this will be incomplete and then she told me this was like an eye opener that you know she had to do it completely in such a way that if tomorrow she is not there if the next moment she is not there and yet the work for today is complete whatever has been given so this is the quality of disinterestedness in the work where whatever is given to us in hand we do it but we are not at all attached neither to the work not to the fruits not to what people may think about me praise me or not praise me so i just focus on the work given to me at that point of time but if tomorrow if it is taken away i let it go with as much state of equanimity and joy knowing very well that the divine has other plans oh yes is uh, i have a yes. question dr pandey yes uh, this is rakuntala yes uh, what about uh, when you you are in a conflict of doing a work and you come across falsehood and yes. you have to adhere to truth but then uh, do you leave it disinterested or the path is very difficult to pursue the truth do you continue yes. that this is my question yes shakuntala ji um uh, greetings of course <laughs> so the thing is that when we take up a work in everything and everywhere truth and falsehood are mixed whether it be a family affair whether it be work in a ashram whether it be everywhere it is mixed because such is the double strand of human nature now we what we have to understand is the area of work that is given to me now i may be given let's talk talk in a larger context See, individually there is this not much of a problem because individually we can make a choice where i have to go where i don't have to go but in a little larger context if it's a family or if it's a a center or if it's a workplace that's where this question comes in so what we have to do is that we have to see that in the area given to me there i must adhere to my own highest aspiration without a doubt but there are other things which are not within my 
hands which are given to others which may not be aligned at all to the way I understand life. I mean, in the ashram context, it can happen where, you know, we are all supposed to be aligned completely to the mother's teachings and yet it may happen that there are people who may think otherwise, who have their own way, not that they are bad people or do it with bad will. It's an, a kind of ignorance. So what do I do in during that uh, state? Well, if I am given a work, I do that part with all perfection. That's all that is given to me. If in a collective level, let's say family or workplace, I have a right to suggest that, look, you know, things uh, can be done this way and it is better. But if somebody else has to decide, somebody else has to do it, it is their lookout. But if it is up to me to decide and do it, I must follow the voice of truth. So it will depend on that. There is, uh, you know, once somebody asked um, mother, you know, there were people who were sitting at the samadhi and talking. And the person asked the mother, he himself told me this story, Jugal Kishorda, late Jugal Kishorda. So he said, he asked the mother that I don't like it, you know, people are talking near the samadhi. What should I do? I feel like telling them. She said, well, um, if you tell them, they may progress. But if you don't tell them, you will progress. But she also said, since you feel it like this, go and give the suggestion once, but leave it at that. So what we can do practically is that there is a very thin line beyond which the ego tends to step in. So while we should give suggestion, no doubt about it, especially with those whom we love, even if we, it's not, you know, we can't always create boundaries that this is my work, this is somebody else's work. We can give suggestion depending upon our closeness, receptivity, etc. Maybe supported with our own logic, whatever it be. At the same time, we should not bring in the vehemence of the ego which comes in with some people that once they've given a suggestion, they want it to be followed. And that's where the problem comes because ego clashes come. Actually, it spoils the work because the other person, maybe if we left it as a suggestion, may pick it up a little later in a quieter moment. But the moment there is an active resistance from the other person, it takes much longer. So, falsehood and truth are mixed everywhere in this world. Whatever I have to decide, whatever is in my field, maybe very small, is where I have to completely disengage falsehood and listen to the voice of truth. It's indispensable. In a collective work, there are different stakeholders, there are different decision makers. They may not be aligned in, in the way I feel in, aligned. Assuming, you know, sometimes you may think it is true, but it may not be true also. But leaving that aside, our own truth, let's put it like that, what we believe to be true. Fair enough. But there are other people who will be aligned differently for various reasons. It may be falsehood. It may be they are meant to be like that for a deeper wisdom. It may be that they are evolving in their own journey and have to go through their own experiences. Whatever it be, that's not my lookout. So best is to focus on my choices and my decisions in that little field which is given to me. For others, they should be left free to follow their own way. If it's a collective work, we have every right to tell them to you know, suggest to them, but without bringing in any kind of vehemence or the ego. But to withdraw from the work because people are not listening to me will be another form of ego. Where I take the same attitude that, well, if people don't listen to me, then I'll, I'll not work anymore. That should not happen. We should do the work that divine has given to us in whatever little field. And if tomorrow it's taken away from us, that's perfectly fine. But till it is given to us, till naturally we don't have the urge, not because of these circumstances. There is a time when naturally you feel an urge that, no, now my calling is to go into another direction, by all means. But 
we should continue with the work knowing that this is my field i must do it beautifully and leave the rest to the all seeing wisdom that watches all of us all the time yes thank you thank you good good morning vikas here hi yes vikas Uh, sir, uh, I have read somewhere. Mother has written, "Beauty, you are my way to the divine." Ah, yes, yes. Uh, beauty, Shivendra at one place says in Savitri, "Beauty is his footprint showing us where he has passed." And the mother, as you said, "Beauty, you are my way to the divine." So there is a whole prayer in detail which she speaks about the law of beauty. and she makes it clear the law of beauty has nothing to do with the way we understand so we understand by beauty just external beauty and external beauty based on our own idea now external beauty order is important but that's one aspect very you know penultimate aspect so beauty has to do a lot with the way you know our thoughts are they beautiful or are they ugly so what is the difference a beautiful thought is invariably a noble kind generous thought it creates lightness in the atmosphere it brings a state of harmony and unity it's not like my way or no way beautiful thought is like that it's vast it's noble it's generous it's kind it's disinterested similarly there is a beauty of feelings beauty of sentiments which gives itself without expecting anything in return beauty of feelings it doesn't degrade either oneself or others drawing people into the pit of pleasure or pit of you know uh, all kinds of things or wanting its own uh, you know to control and dominate beauty of feelings is that where you love in the true way but leave the other person whether the person is able to love or not love and this is not only to a person to the whole creation that's the beauty of feeling which really moves the gods harmony which brings harmony all that brings harmony stems from beauty a thought that will create harmony stems from beauty a feeling that will create harmony stems from beauty and same with our life the rhythms of life should be beautiful it should not be like clumsily hastily navigating this way that way jostling pushing things pushing ourselves elbow uh, pushing others creating room for one's own ego but rather flowing through it smoothly like a stream because one knows where i have to reach and that does not depend on all these people's circumstances and others so there is a law of beauty operating in life and of course the law of beauty in the very body all our gestures postures everything should be beautiful when we look at people sometimes their gestures will tell you you know what is the state of consciousness what is called as a body language and all this cannot be artificially done it's not like learning about body language when we begin to inwardly aspire for beauty and through love devotion we come in contact with the divine mother in her aspect of mahalakshmi then we will see that slowly our thoughts become beautiful our feelings become beautiful our life its rhythms its goals one thing is for sure any goal of life which is done for selfish aim is not beautiful but any goal of life generous disinterested high vast all these gods they come from those domains luminous they that's what is beauty similarly our body when it lives not for its own degrading pleasures it begins to follow the law of beauty so this is the law of beauty and for more detail there is a uh, whole prayer in prayers and meditation and if you 
just search in prayers and meditation the law of beauty law of beauty you'll find it yes yeah 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 yes i got it yes thank you so much so calling is different from job see children are pretty obviously you know it's not their fault we have uh, uh, program them to believe that a job or the work that you do, your profession, that is your calling. It's a great misinterpretation. Calling is just like beauty is the path. So don't talk about work that you will do or the job you will do. Ask them what is it that you value most in your life. Not in terms of people. People, yes. Or even if they proceed with people or job, go deeper. Why? Why do you value? Let us say, take some example. As you said, doctor. Why would you want to become a doctor? So when you look inside, I have asked this question to children and they suddenly say, I want to help people. Compassion. Okay, who is your most favorite person? Mama or Papa? Why is it? Because she embodies love. They won't use the word embodies, but you know, she loves so much. So this way, but the best is to ask them, what is your core? One most important quality that you really admire, that you wonder. Most children come up with this answer, love. So this, when we discover our own core, what is it that calls us? Calling is what calls us, draws us really. Now the more we deviate from this calling, life becomes miserable. Or for some people, the core may be knowledge. For some, it's like Shakti. They want strength. So that's what calling is about, the divine quality which impels us. So divine quality may be a big word for children, just ask them that what is it that you think is the most important thing in life? And without any preconceived idea, the question should be rightly put, it's not like what do you want to do in life? That's not a calling at all. Because say for instance, you want to be compassionate, compassion is something that moves you. You can do it as a healer, you can do it as a business person, you can do it simply being in the house hundred ways, animal activist. The important job comes later. Job has to do with capacity. So we mix up this, uh, you know, calling with um, temperament and capacity. Job has to do with temperament and capacities. Calling has to do with innate tendency, the core which draws us most. That's our calling. Wherever we see it, we are moved to the core with that. So that's what children have to be encouraged to find. Job can be a later issue. That comes much later. Thank you, thank you. 